Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. I have with me today Dr. Ann Kellams. Dr. Kellams is a general pediatrician and an assistant professor at the University of Virginia. She's also the medical director of the newborn nursery of the University of Virginia Health Systems. She's also the medical director of the University of Virginia Breastfeeding Medicine Program. She's an IBCLC and a member of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Welcome, Ann. How are you? Thank you. Good to have. You. Good to be here. I'm fine. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. So today we're talking about exclusive breastfeeding, and we're largely focusing on babies in the hospital after birth in terms of exclusive breastfeeding. And can you tell me what is meant by exclusive breastfeeding and why is that important? Sure. Well, I think the the focus um, on exclusive breastfeeding in the hospital stems from the fact that breastfeeding is one of those things that you really either successfully get it going or you don't. And it's been shown that the first few days probably have the most impact on a a mother's success. Um, Exclusive breastfeeding means receiving only breast milk, um, whether that is at the breastfeeding or for babies in the NICU, um, maybe pumped mother's milk uh, in a bottle or in a supplemental nurse or syringe. Um, but not receiving any other formula or water or uh, glucose, uh, anything else by mouth other than medications. And why is that important? Why should we care? What what would be a problem if the baby just receives a bottle or two of formula in the hospital? Sure. Well, I think the, the biggest, the first and biggest problem is that if the baby receives anything other than mom's milk, um, there's really it's, it makes it a lot harder to end up uh, continuing breastfeeding. And I think the, it affects the duration for any breastfeeding and for exclusive breastfeeding, which is recommended for the first six months. And then with the addition of complementary foods, um, a woman's chance of going back to exclusive breastfeeding even after one bottle is in the range of about 30% chance of success. Um, the gut flora for the baby changes uh, dramatically within 24 hours of the first supplementation. And um, a lot of the risks of uh, formula feeding or not receiving mom's milk are related to not only the duration of exclusive breastfeeding, but um, in a dose-dependent effect, the amount of breast milk versus formula. So our goal and that of the CDC and the Surgeon General and now even the Joint Commission would be that unless there's a medical indication that babies only receive breast milk. So let's talk a little more about what happens when when babies are given one or two bottles of formula. It's associated with a de- decreased likelihood of 
exclusive breastfeeding in the future or early weaning. And why is that? Why do we think that is? Well, it's probably multifactorial. I think a large part of it has to do with once we as healthcare providers um, hand over formula to the mom and she sees, oh, the baby took that and, and liked it or perhaps, you know, settled down for a little while, I think that sends a very powerful message that that becomes one of her tools then for feeding her baby. That may be part of it. It's also been shown that early on in the first few hours and the first few days that um, the the amount of milk that the mom will make is very dependent on how many uh, times the baby nurses in those first few hours and days. And so if the baby fills up their tummy with formula, then that is, um, they're going to be probably feeding at the breast less frequently, less vigorously perhaps, or will be uh, settled or sued sooner because they have a full tummy. And so the mom's body is getting less signal to make more milk. So we think of it as a lot of supply and demand. And the more suckling that occurs, the more surges in prolactin and oxytocin for mom and the more signal to the brain for her body to make more. So if they if they're concerned that the baby is hungry, what we really would like is for the baby to be back at mom's breast, even if they're empty, having been drained of those drops of colostrum in that moment, because it's the suckling on the empty breast that sends the strongest signal to make more. And so when what what would be reasons that babies should be medically supplemented, or I should say medical reasons that the baby should be supplemented. Right. So um, there are some medical reasons. I think um, it's it's felt and has been shown in the literature that probably um, there are many fewer reasons than we actually see uh, happening across hospitals in the U.S. Um, probably something on the order of 10% of babies or moms might come across these reasons versus what happens at our hospital here, about 75% of the formula that's used is not medically indicated. Um, but there's both mom and baby reasons. And my favorite source for this is actually the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine protocol on um, supplementation of the breastfeeding babies. But some of the highlights would be if there is a true delay in what we call lactogenesis stage two, so lactogenesis stage one would be the making of the drops of colostrum, which starts around the fourth month of pregnancy. Um, the triggers for lactogenesis stage two would be the delivery of the placenta and the fall in progesterone, and then the suckling that we mentioned uh, triggering the release of prolactin and oxytocin in the mom. Um, usually we will see this transition from the drops of colostrum in stage one to sort of the ounces of milk in stage two by day three to five. So if you get out to day three to five and there's clinical evidence of the, in the baby of dehydration or abnormal weight loss still um, or um, a decrease in output, then that might be a reason for supplementation in addition to evaluating the feeding and trying to do whatever we could to help mom boost her supply. 
Um, retained placenta is another thing we think about. So again, later than day three or five, mom will often complain of kind of persistent, either heavy or bright red bleeding, but it just means some of that placenta is still in there releasing progesterone, which could be affecting um, the, the triggering of the stage two. Um, another thing we think of is if mom's had a severe postpartum hemorrhage, um, we call that Sheehan syndrome, where she could actually be hormonally um, deficient because her body is doing everything to preserve and recover from the blood loss. Again, you wouldn't know this until day three to five. Um, a couple other mom reasons uh, that we think of, primary glandular insufficiency, meaning that and again, this should be a very small percentage, but mom has either hypoplastic uh, breasts or she had really um, hardly any tenderness during pregnancy or any enlargement of her breasts during pregnancy. That's concerning for whether or not she has the enough glandular tissue. And we would have to be, again, trying to boost her supply and, and seeing what her body could do, what percent of um, the baby's feeding she would be able to produce. Um, also thinking about either breast pathology or breast surgery in the past, particularly breast reduction surgery where the glandular and innervation and even circulatory architecture has been disrupted and what she would be able to do. Um, as far as you want me to talk about baby things? Sure. Um, as far as the infant goes, um, what's interesting about this entire list is that um, none of these things in and of themselves would be a reason to automatically use formula, but if these things were happening in the baby, they would be cause for concern and a formal feeding evaluation would need to occur, looking at the big picture, um, how is the latch, how frequently has the baby and mom been trying to feed, um, is mom uncomfortable? Could the baby be more forward on the breast and towards the nipple versus really effective? Um, so all of these things for the baby would be if they still persist after a skilled assessment and proper management of breastfeeding, then they would be indications for supplementation. A good example of that would be hypoglycemia. So our first line of defense for hypoglycemia would be to have the first feeding be within that first hour before we even screen for hypoglycemia in an asymptomatic baby. But if we found it to be low and the baby received drops of colostrum and it persisted after appropriate frequent feeding, that would be um, an indication. Um, significant dehydration, which we say is 10% weight loss with clinical and laboratory evidence of dehydration, meaning that the sodium is high or the feeding is very poor or the baby's lethargic um, or the output is not reaching sort of the minimum requirement for the day. Um, if mom is still having uh, delay, has not been engorged or making the ounces of milk and you're out at day five and the baby is still losing weight or in the eight to 10% range, that may be an indication while you're working on maximizing mom's supply. Um, and along with that, if you're out to day five and the baby's still having those tarry black meconium stools, you haven't seen any transitioning of the stools, again, which usually would correspond with the making of ounces of milk in mom. 
Um, another reason to supplement perhaps with mother's expressed milk would be if she has the milk in there, but the baby is not able to adequately transfer the milk, whether it's because of coordination or strength or um, some sort of uh, problem with kind of coordinating suck, swallow, and breathing. So we might have the mom pump to uh, express the milk and feed it to the baby that way. And another reason might be uh, with prematurity in particular that the baby may need more macronutrients than is available in the mom's milk. So we would add those things to the expressed milk. And then do you want to mention something about the 35 to 37 weekers, those late preterms in supplementation? Sure. sure. That's a special population. Um, I would say, you know, I don't expect babies to be great breastfeeders until they get about to their due date. So with the late preterm infants, which is kind of the group you're referring to, really from the get-go, I would be teaching mom how to hand express after each feeding and perhaps even with the 35-weekers even pumping after each feeding because I, we don't know when those babies come out if they're going to act like a big term baby and be able to do this all on their own or if if they're going to if mom's going to need extra signal and extra help uh providing those drops of colostrum to the baby so those need special attention um probably more on the order of every 12 hours looking at their fluid and hydration status uh versus the kind of once a day that a lot of term newborns can um tolerate um so i would be particularly interested in um getting lots of signal early on and making sure that on a regular basis those drops were going in, making sure the baby's not having trouble with their sugars, um, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And for for your patients at your hospital, you mentioned that about 75% of the formula used uh, could be, is used for inappropriate reasons. What would you think are the top reasons at your hospital that formula is used um, in those situations? Seventy-five mm percent -hmm, mm -hmm. at our hospital, and I think this is fairly common, are um, basically at mother's request. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with them coming into the hospital with sort of unrealistic expectations. So when you look at the ways to try to prevent supplementation in the hospital or prevent the need or the asking for, um, a lot of it has to do with educating moms. So prenatally, it's been shown if they receive some education, whether it's a video or a one-on-one -on -one with a lactation consultant or it's brought up at every visit prenatally in the, um, with the OBs, um, that if they come in sort of knowing what to expect and knowing what normal infant behaviors would be in the first couple of days, that they're more successful. So I think a lot of it has to do with education. I tell my staff here, because we did a survey in our clinic, you know, how many, what percent of, you, of the moms had had any education about breastfeeding in the prenatal clinic, and unfortunately it was 10%, which we're actively working on to try to address that, that need. Um, but I think that we need to think of our contact with the moms right when the baby's born as being perhaps the only evidence-based education that they've received about breastfeeding. So really trying to hit on that. Um, I think another thing is that 
the more medicalized and uh, births have become in the hospital, the the more that moms and babies have been sort of separated. So in that key power hour where mom's likely to get the biggest hormonal surge and baby's likely to get the biggest bolus of colostrum and moms can see the baby actually, you know, crawl and find the breast right after delivery and sort of an empowering thing that working on skin-to-skin time right after delivery, the sooner, the longer, the better for moms and babies that don't need some other medical intervention. Um, I think it's good to ask moms when they first mention formula or or think about bottle feeding, just find out why. Um, So I I kind of use motivational interviewing techniques, like, you know, what is it that made you choose bottle feeding? And sometimes it's a a very um, valid reason, but a lot of times it's just, it's an indication that, again, they haven't received any education. For example, a mom might say, well, I have to go back to work when the baby's eight weeks old, and so I can't. Um, I won't be able to breastfeed. And maybe they just don't even know how important uh, those first few days, hours, weeks of the breast milk can be in terms of health uh, health outcomes for the baby. Um, another reason, which I think is probably bigger than the hospitals can tackle, but the more we talk about this and the more moms we get breastfeeding, the more we can affect change would be just culture and society. And when we got down to, you know, 22% initiation rate in this country of any breastfeeding um, in the late 70s, early 80s, we lost a whole generation of moms and grandmas and aunts and friends who breastfed. That's only one in five women even tried it once at that time. So I think a lot of the education and support that we're providing is to try to help bridge that gap for this generation that we lost. Um, Another thing that would be really helpful in terms of preventing the need or the request for supplementation is that as healthcare providers, we need to be um, observing the baby feeding early on in the hospital stay, not waiting until there's a problem, but really seeing, you know, okay, here's what mom and baby are doing, so I'm just observing what they're doing. Do I hear any swallows? Um, What do mom's nipples look like? Are they flat? Are they inverted? Are we going to need to do a little chin support for the baby? Is she comfortable? Uh, The baby's tongue should not be touching the tip of a nipple with an effective feeding, and yet that's where most moms get uncomfortable. So is the baby nipple feeding, or is the baby really getting back on there with a nice buried chin? Um, That would be another thing, and I'm trying to think if I have any other ideas. Um, I think that, you know, it's on us if we're going to promote exclusive breastfeeding and educate women that that's what we should do. Then on the back end, we should be watching carefully um, that, there aren't any problems. So not only do you just say, this is what you should do, but I will say, it's my job while you guys are practicing and learning and doing this often to make sure that we're not seeing any dehydration or uh, low blood sugar or, um, you know, low output, things that that I think um, we would need to do something about. So I'll I'll be worrying about that while you guys just focus on being skin to skin and every time there's a little cue going ahead and feeding the baby. So providing that safety net, it sounds like you're 
you're yes. referring to and that close follow-up after yes. hospital discharge. Yeah, oh, I didn't mention yeah. the follow-up, but we absolutely, within one to two days of leaving the hospital, the baby needs to be looked at because these days where the average stay is, you know, 48 hours or less, that's prior to the nadir of weight. It's prior to when you can say breastfeeding is, quote, going well because the mom hasn't even gone through lactogenesis stage two to make the ounces of milk yet. It's prior to the peak of Billy, not to mention when the ductus is starting to think about closing for good. So every baby, I think, should be seen within one to two days, and that's consistent with um, the guidelines and recommendations that are out there. I agree. I also wonder sometimes if hospitals would be um, better off in terms of increasing exclusive breastfeeding rates if they limit visitors, because it seems that when visitors are in the room with mom and the baby, moms sometimes are inhibited from putting yeah. the baby to the breast quite often. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I think again, you know, the generation that we talked about when you know there were doctors saying you need to give that baby formula. Um, I think that not only can it be a hindrance, and moms especially when they're just starting out breastfeeding can be very shy and it's hard to do it without kind of full frontal nudity. A um, couple things about that. One is that many units now are looking into sort of cocooning themselves and early on in pregnancy sort of setting the expectations that those first few days are going to be about mom holding baby every time she's awake and feeding anytime the baby wants to instead of the expectation that there's going to be kind of this party with balloons and flowers and the baby's going to be passed from person to person. Um, I think also that uh, the more education that can be provided in the presence of family members, whether it's prenatal or in the hospital, can really help. And so if I have the luxury of, you know, kind of doing the first exam on a baby, uh, when there's a bunch of visitors, I will look around and say, you guys' job is going to be to make sure everything at home is fine, to make sure mom's getting rest. You know, if that baby's eyes are closed, her eyes need to be closed and she needs to be lying horizontal. Um, you guys are going to be great for helping with the diaper changes and getting the car seat out of the car to bring in and things like that. And mom needs to focus on having the baby skin to skin with her as the baby's warmer and nutrition source. So you can kind of plant the seed to everybody that's there that here's how the next couple of days can go. Right. Right. That sounds excellent. Like excellent advice. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, take care. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med dot org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.